This is 15-Minute History, a podcast for educators, students, and history buffs featuring the minds and talents of the University of Texas at Austin. 15-Minute History is a partnership of Not Even Past and Hemispheres in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Hi, I'm Joan Newberger, editor of Not Even Past, and your host for today's episode of 15-Minute History. Today, our guest is Ben Wright, who is the Public Information Officer at the Briscoe Center for American History. Hi, Ben. Hi. Ben has been exploring the Bear Archive at the Briscoe Center and other documents um, that bear directly on the history of Texas and its role in the American Revolution. So that's our topic for today. In the 1770s, Texas was part of the Spanish Empire. What part of what the United States today was also part of the Spanish Empire at the time? Uh, so we really can talk about more or less the whole Western part of the continent as being under um, Part of this is part of the Spanish Empire under Spanish influence with settlements, um, you know, in New Mexico and California, and uh, Texas, and and then as well, uh, Mexico um, and Cahuilla State, Tamaulipas State, uh, Mexico City. Uh, so there's this vast, um, you might say, overstretched empire um, really straddling North and Central America. And mm-hmm. Texas is uh, one of the more fledgling provinces of the Spanish Empire in the 1770s. And Spain, like France, wanted to see British defeated in its war with the colonies. Um, what role did Spain play in the British defeat? So in um, a lot of revolutionary history comes back to the Seven Years' War, and this is no different. What we find is that the, the British have acquired, uh, ac- rather acrimoniously, what we would call Florida, Mississippi, and Alabama, but at the time were actually called the Floridas, um, from Spain in the Seven Years' War. And what this means is, um, firstly, the British empire in North America and indeed the West Indies is rather overstretched, um, more territory that can actually be held onto with the amount of manpower and military uh, power uh, available and you also have um, Spain and France who are uh, looking to um, avenge their losses and not just in North America but actually around the globe in this sort of race for empire in the late 18th century. The American Revolution is an opportunity for Spain, as it is for France, and and a lot of um, the uh, scholarship talks about the role of France in the American Revolution. Uh, Spain's vital too, um, partly because there are so many factors um, that determine the outcome of the American Revolution that we can't discount uh, the role Spain played as well in in, uh, the fighting with the British along the Gulf Coast. underneath uh, where um, Washington and his army and Cornwallis and his army were dealing in the, in the southern states on the eastern seaboard. Mm-hmm. So one of the key figures in the Texas contribution to Spain's contribution was um, Bernardo de Galvez. Yes. Who was he? Bernardo de Galvez was the governor of Louisiana um, at the time of the American Revolution. He'd made a name for himself uh, protecting Tejano communities um, in Texas with their conflicts with uh, Native Americans uh, earlier in his career. And um, as the governor of Louisiana, he is tasked by the King of Spain, King Carlos, to boot the British out of the Gulf. And Galvez, with his knowledge of Tejano communities, with his knowledge of his passing knowledge of the droves of Longhorns, knows that Texas is going to be key to feeding his mustering forces. And this is particularly acute in 1779 because Louisiana is uh, recovering from the effects of hurricanes which have 
have affected the, the amount of cattle that are in, in in Louisiana at the time. And why were cattle so important in the war effort in this part of the country? Uh, it's useful here to paraphrase Frederick the Great, of course, one of the military generals in the Seven Years' War, um, who um, has this reputation as a great military strategist. Um, and one of the things he cites as the most important thing you can do when uh, making military professions is making sure your army is well provisioned, as he called it, taking care of the belly. You need to feed your army. It's one of the things that keeps your army fit in the field. It's one of the things that keeps your army out of trouble with local populations. So cattle make good... Um good food source? Well, I think anyone who's ever had a Texas steak uh, would (laughs) find it difficult to disagree. Um, But, you know, in addition to that, you're talking about a mobile source of food, a source of food that can more or less feed itself on the way from A to B, uh, a a source of food that really, for all practical purposes until it's slaughtered, is is refrigerated. Um, And it's also a multiplying source of food. One of the things Galvez requests of the governor of Texas is that that enough bulls are sent so that these herds can be replenished uh, without further droves um, necessitating um, a loss in numbers. Mm -hmm. And then what kind of challenges did Galvez face in getting the cattle from Texas to the troops uh, further east. One of the uh, problems uh, was actually persuading the governor of Texas to to go along with this. Um, Domingo Cabello uh, was not a great fan of this plan and had actually made protests to his and Galvez's uh, senior, Theodora de Croix, uh, saying, look, this this isn't really practical. This is going to lead to an inflation of cattle prices. Uh, This touches on certain uh, free trade issues, which we don't really want to get into. There's... uh, um, problems in remuneration, there's problems with uh, communication, and not to mention that it's actually very difficult to transfer, you know, across six, seven hundred miles, thousands of cattle through hostile territory, and this time hostile Native American territory. Mm-hmm. You know, due to the, the numbers of these fledgling Texas communities, you know, um, thousands of people, not tens of thousands of people. Driving large herds of cattle, it takes manpower. Protecting large herds of cattle takes manpower. And uh, um, one of Cabello's sort of you know implications is that these guys are sitting ducks for attacks if we send this much cattle through Nacogdoches up along the trail to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. So about how many um, cattle... From what we can ascertain in the Bear Archives, in uh, 1779, about 2,000 were sent uh, on one drove, and then at least another 9,000 over the next three or four years. And just to, I think, I think it's worth taking a moment to think, you know, walking from San Antonio to New Orleans is tricky enough. Um, Walking that amount of distance with thousands of animals, um, herding them, this is an enterprise that is not easily accomplished. And, mm-hmm. and actually, these are the first organized cattle droves out of Texas. It's an impressive feat. In addition to cattle and manpower to protect the cattle, um, what else did Tejanos contribute to the American war effort? Well, a few things. One of the things that uh, Cabello, one, one of the reasons uh, Governor Cabello is reluctant to do this is because when you take manpower on these droves, you take them away from the presidios and the settlements, which are um, also vulnerable to um, to conflicts with Native American tribes at this time. One of the contributions was just the sacrifice of manpower that left Texas settlements vulnerable 
and actually, uh, there's a really good example of this in 1780, uh, you know, when Cabello writes to the Commandant General de Croix saying there's been a Comanche attack on one of the drives. He calls this disastrous and heinous. And a lot of these letters in the Bear archives between governors and between these top Spanish elite officials are very politely written. They very much beat around the bush in that sort of polite language that you find in a lot of elite conversation in European nations at this time. Cabello goes straight to it and says, people are so intimidated in this province, I doubt I can find anyone for whatever amount of money to keep this going. So you get this very graphic picture of vulnerable communities in undertaking these dangerous and difficult missions to get these um, cattle from A to B. So the, the Spanish are contributing to the war effort against the British, while at the same time they're fighting to protect European settlers from Native Americans living there and also coming into this territory. So yeah. there are really two sort of wars going on at the same time. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, the conflicts with Native peoples were endemic of early European settlement in North America. And that's um, that's no different in, in the Spanish provinces as it was in the English colonies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll come back to Native Americans yep. in a second, because it sort of complicates things here having these two wars going on at the same time. So you've talked about cattle and you've talked about protecting the cattle. Did Texans contribute any funds, any anything? What else did they Actually, contribute? in 1780, as if the Texans weren't doing enough, uh, King Carlos uh, asks uh, all the governors uh, in uh, New Spain in the Spanish provinces to uh, collect voluntary donations uh, to help finance um, Galvez's campaign. According to documents in the Bear Archives, um, Cabello reports um, rather belatedly uh, in 1784 that he's managed to collect around six. 1600 pesos and puts rather wryly in his letter to his boss that uh, I know well the delay that this assignment has suffered but if your lordship knew the labor I've spent in carrying out you would surely (laughs) excuse my errors Um, I don't think he was very happy to have to go cap in hand to these settlements and and, and ask in addition to everything that was being done for for a couple of pesos for the king. Mm Galvez also was active in extending the war effort and really stretching the British forces, right? Is that right? By opening up Third Front, is that... I think when we look at uh, sort of the military bird's-eye view of the American Revolutionary War, you've got forces on the ground along the eastern seaboard, French... Uh, and the British uh, naval presences uh, in the Atlantic. And then you also have conflicts between the British and the Spanish along the Gulf Coast states, uh, along what is now Alabama, Mississippi, Florida. And the the base of these Spanish efforts in these conflicts is is from Spanish New Orleans. Um, One of the reasons this is important, as we've talked about, the the British Empire at this point is, is overstretched, you know, sometimes too much success is too much of a good thing you know the seven years war is that 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 britain actually takes on more territory than it can actually hold so with the spanish kicking um the british out of the gulf you have a situation where george washington ends up with a friend rather than the foe on his southern flank Mm -hmm. um let's talk about the indigenous population in the territory that's now texas and and what role that played during the american revolution it's really hard to just sort of summarize the situation, right? Yeah, there's um, lots of different communities of Native Americans in North America at this time. 
that means there's lots of agendas. These are competing agendas, contradictory agendas. There, there are sort of rolling alliances and enmity between Native American communities as well as between Native American communities and European settlers. I like to think that, you know, like other communities uh, in the American Revolution, they too chose sides, they switched sides, they prioritised parochial concerns, uh, they didn't necessarily see um, the hand of history leading to this sort of um, glorious liberal revolution that, that we sort of look back now with the gift of hindsight at. Um, these were people that were concerned with the immediate concerns of their communities. And, and we also see the Indians operated as guns for hire often, uh, working um, with, with the British um, with the French and with the Spanish uh, as proxies at times and um, often in mutually beneficial relationships. Um, mm-hmm. you, you see one of the um, typical Spanish grievances, um, and we've come across this in the Bear Archives, is that is the British practice of trading guns uh, to native communities in exchange for stolen horses from, mm-hmm. from Spanish settlements. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and you see this in other parts of the continent as well. This was something, something everybody did. Mm-hmm. Were there any factors that limited Indian activities at this time? I mean, it sounds like they could they had a lot of options. Well, um, one of the things that European settlement brought to um, to North America were, were, in addition to guns, were horses. And so you're at a point where native communities are actually pretty fierce and formidable military powers. Um, you know, in, in a fledgling community like Texas, where you've got thousands rather than tens of thousands, you have a much more sort of level playing field for negotiations and things like that. At the same time, though, we see this going back to Capesa de Vaca in the 16th century. The Europeans also bring disease with them. The late 8th century was no different. You, you see in the 1780s, there, in particular, um, there, are, there are smallpox epidemics uh, mm-hmm. that, that really decimate Indian communities. Mm-hmm. What were some of the uh, long-lasting impacts of the Texas role in in the revolution? The importance of Texas's role really boils down to how you value the importance of the Spanish role. we talked about how Frederick the Great said, you know, you've got to feed your army if you can, if you can hope to have any sort of success. And Bernardo de Galvez did have a lot of success. He successfully laid siege to uh, British settlements like Mobile and Pensacola, um, effectively nullifying British power in the Gulf. As we said, this means George Washington finishes the revolution, finishes the revolutionary war with a friend rather than a foe on his southern flank. Um, how we gauge the importance of the Spanish role in, compared to the military prowess of Washington or the, the effect of um, you know, the, the French naval um, resources has been hotly debated for, for centuries. One, one, one thing that we can say is that um, Thomas Jefferson certainly thought it was a, a very useful contribution. And, and one of the treasures of the Briscoe Center is this letter written by Jefferson to Bernardo de Galvez saying, basically, thank you so much for what you're doing. Uh, you're, the weight of your, I think it's the weight of your empire has, has sort of tipped the scales and, and we are expecting a happy ending to this present contest. Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier that the uh, these were some of the first large-scale cattle drives mm-hmm. that the Spanish vaqueros, the Spanish um, cowboys, carried out. Yeah. Um, did this make Texas, did this contribute to the sort of making Texas an um, a economic power? I think after the revolution, Texas stagnates and even languishes, which is one of the reasons that, that the Spanish, at a certain point, agreed to open Texas up to um, Anglo settlement as well. It got to a point where actually numbers are just 
the bottom line here. Let's let's get folks here. But one of the interesting connections we get with the story of the Texas Vaquero, the Tejano Vaquero, driving cattle up to New Orleans in the Revolutionary War, is that it's just the connection it gives Texas with the Revolution. Often we think of the Texas connection as being Anglo settlers in the early 19th century coming from the United States and bringing these revolutionary ideas and bringing, um, you know, this sort of way of doing things and uh, what we will and won't put up with from our government and and, and transplanting that to uh, the Western uh, part of North America. Actually, we see there's an earlier connection, and it's a connection with uh, Spanish settlers in North America aiding uh, the Spanish governor of Louisiana, who is an active agent in the Revolutionary War. And so, so we end up with this sort of lovely buttress to the multicultural heritage of Texas in the Union. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for coming in and, and talking about the multicultural history of the American Revolution with us. Thank you very much. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with supplemental documents, suggestions for further reading, and correlations to this Texas and National Educational Standards for History and Geography on our website, blogs.utexas.edu backslash 15-minute history. That's the numerals 1-5-minute history. You can also find a link to suggest topics for upcoming episodes. The University of Texas at Austin is a free speech campus. Opinions and viewpoints expressed in episodes of 15-Minute History do not represent the official position of the University of Texas or of any of its colleges or departments. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.